Good morning. How are y'all today? Wow, there we go. We got we got one person who's happy. Um, welcome. A year ago, almost to the date, I was sitting in my college cafeteria, and my best friend's across from me, and we're just chatting about this this crazy move of God that's going on at this this little college called Asbury University. And we're chatting about it, and we've been praying for a long time just about a movement of God at our college, and so super curious about, like, what in the world is going on over here? And I, for one, had classes to attend, and I like classes, so I wanted to go to my classes, and I had already missed two classes that semester. And so I thought, that's too much. Uh, There's no way I can go down there. And my friend looks at me, and he says, what do you actually have that is important in your life right now? And I said, ouch, that, ow, that really hurts. But that statement got me in a car and grabbed some, some random undergrads. Who we, we piled in and 50 people from Wheaton kind of drove down to this movement of God in Wilmore, middle of nowhere, Kentucky. And, and we were able to just kind of glimpse one of the most powerful movements of the Holy Spirit that has taken place in the United States in the last few decades. 16 straight days of thousands upon thousands of people worshiping and praying from all different countries going to Wilmore, Kentucky. Why? Because that's where God was. I think it's super appropriate today We're in the book of Acts chapter 2. One year later, we're in the book of Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be talking about the falling, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be, it's really, it's going to be a heavy message today, full of of weight and of of intensity and and glory, and I think even, even pain in this passage. And it's the first sermon in the history of the church. So let me, let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into these powerful words. Father, this, this word of yours is, is too big for me, and I am intimidated by how big this, this passage is, Lord. So, Father, I pray that you would just wash over this room, that the Holy Spirit would be welcomed here in our hearts, that you would soften our hearts to what you are doing, that we would open our ears and open our eyes, and that our hearts, Lord, would be pierced by the Word of God wherever they need to be pierced, Lord. We pray this knowing that you can do far more, far more than we ask or imagine. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So today, we're talking about the first sermon in the history of the church. It's pretty exciting. You should be excited. I'm excited. So uh, just to start this out, we're, we're going to go to three kind of different sections of what Peter, who's, who's going to be speaking this sermon, goes through. He, he starts by saying, here's what's happening. 
everyone. There's this crazy stuff going on. Here's what's happening. And then the second part of the sermon, he says, here's why and how it is happening. And the third part, he says, here's what you need to do because of what is happening. Now, the first part, here's what's happening. It's, it's pretty important for us to, as we, as we get ready to dive into this passage of Acts 2, to kind of remember the context of what's going on in this passage. So, a variety of things. Number one, if you remember, the book of Acts is written by a guy named Luke. And Luke also wrote a gospel called Luke. There we go. We got better at that one. Uh, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And there are actually two works that are together. It's like if you're reading the Lord of the Rings, which none of you probably are, but it's like the fellowship of the ring and the two, like they're, they're one, it's one and together. And so he wrote these two things together. In the book of Luke, Jesus obviously is the main character, and he does all these crazy things. And then at the end of the book, he kind of disappears. He rises up into heaven, and we have no idea what that means, but he does. And then the disciples are left. And in the first chapter of the book of Acts, not only do we have this Jesus guy who nobody really knows where his body went, like nobody knows what really happened to him, but also the disciples kind of fall off the map because what does Jesus say to the disciples? He says, wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples are, are, in, a, are in a period of waiting for the Spirit. Kind of quiet. The next thing that we need to remember, number two, is that this, this date is the date of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost, we talked just a little bit about last week. Penta, 550. It's 50 days after this really important festival in the Jewish calendar called Passover. And so this, this holiday, Pentecost, is huge. And people from all over the world, Jews from all over the world, come to visit. That's why there's so many nations that are present at this time. And you know what it's a celebration? It's, it's kind of like our July 4th. Except on our July 4th, we're like, no more taxation without representation. But they were like, <laughs> they were like, Moses, on this day, this is what they're celebrating, received the law of God. It's a little, slightly more significant. Received the law of God. And for 1,500 years at this point in, in, in when uh, this book of Acts is written, they've been celebrating this festival. For 1,500 years. Because this is when the presence of God comes to this particular, small, weak, insignificant people and makes them completely significant in every way. This is a super important moment when the presence of God, interesting, that's happening on this day, comes. The third thing that we can remember is that all this crazy stuff is happening where these Galilean rednecks, as my dad likes to call them, are speaking in all these different languages than they actually know because the Holy Spirit falls on this room of men and women and they go out and immediately when the Holy Spirit falls, every time the Holy Spirit comes, they have to talk about Jesus. And so they start telling everybody on this big holiday about Jesus. And what do the people say? Here's how we ended the sermon last week. They're probably drunk. They've they got to be out of their minds. They're crazy. That's what the people are saying. But then, in the midst of all this chaos, there's this one voice that kind of rises up, and his name is Peter. You've probably heard of him before in the book of Luke. And here's how Peter starts the first sermon 
in the history of the church. But Peter, verse 14 of Acts chapter 2. If you got your Bible flipped there, if not, it's going to be on the screen. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed all these people. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. The, the first line in the first ever sermon of the church is, y'all, we're not drunk. That's like... <laughs> It's really gone downhill since then. Like, th this is the first line of the first sermon ever, literally. Leave it up to, to human beings to, to make that happen. And Peter actually has to go so far as to prove that since it's the third hour of the day, y'all, it's 9 a.m. It's the third hour of the day, and 120 of us are acting crazy, and you think we're, we're drunk. We're, we're just not. So Peter starts out a sermon with a little bit of explanation of what's happening. And then he goes on, and I think one of the things that we need to note is that the very next verses that, that Peter talks about is quoted scripture. And what happens when the Holy Spirit comes is there's suddenly a desire for the word of God and an understanding of the word of God that we've never had before. If you know that the Holy Spirit's at work in you when you really just want to read this thing. That's when you know that the Holy Spirit is, is at work in you when you want this word. And so Peter begins speaking and he quotes from the book of Joel. Is that everyone's favorite book in here? The book of Joel? Um, it's actually one of my favorites, which is really weird. But here's what he says. And in the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Here's a quotation from the book of Joel. Why does he choose the book of Joel? Because at the very beginning of the book of Joel, there's these drunkards. And they don't understand what's going on. And so what Peter's doing is actually flipping the joke back on the people who made fun of him. And he's saying, no, 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 you are the drunkards. You are not seeing clearly. Here's what is happening right now. It's in the Bible. And he keeps going. And he says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders, miracles in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass, read this. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is from the book of Joel. And it's extremely important to understand a little bit about the book of Joel to really understand where Peter's coming from. So we're just going to try to sprint. Y'all, there's so much in this passage. We're just going to try to sprint through this part because Joel's one of my favorite books in the Bible. And in the book of Joel, one of the main themes is on the day of the Lord. It's about this, this day of the Lord. And what Peter's saying is he's reinterpreting this book. And he's saying, here is the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord means two different things to Joel, and it means many, many different things throughout the Bible. But, but here's what the day of the Lord can mean. It can mean, on the one hand, this is the worst day that you can possibly imagine because God is coming. And on the other hand, 
it means this is the best day that you can possibly imagine because God is coming. And so Joel starts out his book with two just horrific illustrations. And this is kind of what the prophets do. They really want you to know what's really going on, what's really about to happen. So he starts with this illustration with locusts. You've never heard of locusts before? I called my grandmother to, to ask about what locusts were and uh, also watched some National Geographic. It was, it was honestly disturbing to look at what Joel is talking about. Here's what Joel's saying. When locusts come, there's, there's some, some eyewitness accounts from the Great Plains in the United States towards like the late 1800s. There are just some hordes of, of locusts that came and ate everything. Grass, crops, trees, the wool off of the sheep, the clothes off of your body. They're all consuming. They're devouring. They get into everything, and you can't stop them. They even, their witnesses would say that, that for days, the sun would be blocked because of how thick the hordes of locusts were. This is what, this is what Joel is trying to say. He's saying the locusts are coming. And everything that you have done to upset the Lord, there is a day coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And you cannot escape. So what do you do? Cry out to the Lord. Because you yourself cannot escape this. You need him. You need him. He switches illustrations. He starts talking about this great army, this great empire. And Israel is not the biggest nation ever, if you, if you know the Old Testament. They're not the biggest nation ever. So Joel starts talking about this army that's going to come in and wipe out this people. And, and before the army, there's fear. And behind the army, there's fire. And everything's burned. And everything's gone. And this army's coming, and they're coming to your house. And Joel, Joel is yelling. He's saying, here they come. And there's nothing you can do to stop them. You're not a big nation. You don't have much. And if you know anything, anything about, about the ancient empires, once they get to your men, to your women, and to your children, they do things that are unspeakable. This is what is coming to you. Watch out. This is the passage that Peter has in mind. <laughs> this is what we're talking about. And what, you know the next thing that Joel says, and this is such a powerful powerful passage and towards the end of this we'll have the verses on the screen but for now verse 12 of Joel chapter 2 the Lord is calling to his people he sees the locust he knows the day of the Lord is coming so the Lord himself wants to intervene and he calls to a people and he says yet even now even after all that you've done even after all the times you ran away from me yet even now declares the Lord return to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, being totally devastated by what you've done. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. And this is what verse 15 says, and we'll have it on the screen. Joel, Joel tells the people this. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast, meaning, meaning set yourself apart 
to have a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children, even the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. And what what in the world is Joel saying? Joel's saying, when will it be enough? When will it be enough to draw you into repentance? When will we make that decision? He's saying, even your honeymoon, even your nursing infant, even the things that you think that you are entitled to, there's no time for that. The day is now. The day of the Lord is now. Why would you wait? Why on earth would you wait? And so Joel looks at these two illustrations of, of these locusts, and the locusts are coming. We know that, right? We feel it even now. The locusts are starting to eat things away. People in our lives that pass some of the stuff that we thought we had that we no longer have. They're coming. And the day of the Lord is coming. And yet, the book of Joel goes on, and this is the passage that Peter ends up quoting because God says, if you, if you repent, if you come to me fasting and weeping, if you are totally moved by your own sin, here's what it goes on to say. I will restore to you the years that the locust has stolen. And you will never be put to shame again. All that you've lost, I will restore tenfold. And you will never be put to shame again. And then comes this passage. I'm trying to find it. Uh, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And Peter quotes that passage. And he quotes this part about men and women prophesying. He quotes this part about slaves and free people prophesying. And he he quotes this part about all people who call upon my name shall be saved. And for the first time, don't miss this. This is so important. For the first time in history, it didn't matter who you were at all. Christianity, my religion, our relationship with God, This is the first time ever that it did not matter if you were rich, if you were poor, if you were slave, if you were free, if you were male, if you were female, if you were of any race, of any gender, of any nationality, you could actually have the spirit of the living God with you. This is one of the most important, whether you're a believer or not a believer in Jesus, this is one of the most important moments in all of world history. This changed everything. And anyone who, who is in the secular world who is arguing for equality, they're arguing from this. This is where it started. Because before that, the powerful were the only ones who could come near a God. But our God is different. This is the passage that Peter is quoting in Joel. And he's bringing it to the people. And he's saying, when will it be enough for you to repent and invite the Spirit of the Lord into your heart? Forty million Christians 
have left the church in the last 25 years. I think the question is, when will it be enough for us to drop everything? 100 million? To 200 million? When will it, will it be enough for, our, for ourselves personally? When everything falls apart? When will it be enough for you to look upon the God who wants to save you and has invited everyone and anyone in? When we were um, at Asbury, there was something super tangible about the presence of God. And it wasn't in the worship leaders because, honestly, the worship leaders were sometimes really bad. And it wasn't in the preachers because I fell asleep when they were preaching. But it was in this feeling that the day of the Lord had come. And every morning we woke up wondering if this was going to be the day when, like, in a room like this, all of a sudden, everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. And everyone was repenting of things and confessing things and bringing things to light that they had not brought to light for 20 years. And we were wondering, maybe this will be the day. Revival is when we operate as if the kingdom of heaven is right now. Because there's just three days in the life of a Christian. Yesterday, Jesus came. Today, Jesus lives in me, and tomorrow Jesus will return. And that is what revival looks like. The passage goes on, and y'all, we just do not have a time for all of this, but we're going to read this together. Verses 22 through 36, Peter moves on. He's explained what is happening. Now he's going to explain why and how it's happening. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Y'all, you watch this guy Jesus do these crazy things. You, you know that he was amazing. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. The word pangs there is the word from childbirth, pangs as if through death there's new life being born. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. My Jesus can't be held by death. For here, here comes a quote from Psalm 16. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced, and my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness at your presence. Brothers, Peter goes on, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw, he prophesied, and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. All 120 of us actually genuinely believe that Jesus rose from the grave and we saw him. Amen? 
Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He's poured out all these crazy things that are happening in your midst. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Could you be any more bold? Here's what's happening here. We're just going to sprint through it real quick. Peter is proving, or he's, he's bringing some evidence for Jesus being God. And he actually does this in a really emotional way. He makes two emotional arguments. What, he's, what, his, what his main argument is, is, is that this Jesus is everything you have ever wanted and everything you have ever desired. So on the one hand, he is, he's the Christ. So the Jewish people are waiting. For hundreds of years, they were waiting for someone to come and rescue them from oppression because the Jewish people like, kept on getting beat up by empire after empire after empire. They're waiting for somebody to come and rescue them. They're waiting for this guy, the Christ, was the name, the title of that. And so he quotes Psalm 16, and it's about the Christ. And in that, there's this verse that, that says, your Holy One will not see corruption. In other words, he's not going to die. And he says, that can't be David. Because David's dead. It must be someone else. Jesus is the person who resurrected. You need a Messiah who can resurrect to fulfill this scripture. Jesus did that. He's everything you've ever wanted. Then he goes on to say, Jesus is also your Lord. Now, Lord would mean your God. And you see that verse where it said, the Lord said to my Lord, the Jews would be like, what in the world is happening here? There's two lords in the same verse, but I thought the Lord was one. And Peter's saying, no, 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 no. The Lord is one, but he's also three. And so Jesus, the Son of God, is equal to the Father. And Jesus is everything you've ever wanted. And this God that you say that you're trying to please your whole life, this is him. Wouldn't it be ironic if our whole lives what we've always wanted and longed for is knocking at our door. And he actually came to be with us and we just shut him out. What, what if love was actually chasing us down? Wouldn't that be wild? When um, during this same season with kind of this time of movement of the Lord last year. Wheaton, my college, kind of, kind of asked some folks from Asbury to come up and worship with us. And it was just a wild night of, of a whole lot of just praise, like pure praise, very pure. And the first song that we sang that particular night was Goodness of God. And the last line in that song is a bridge. It says, your goodness is running after me. It's running after me. And I remember just like singing that line. We couldn't stop singing it. And you, you, you almost had to keep telling yourself that it was true, which is why we sing so loud in here. You have, to, you have to tell yourself, this is actually real. Because every single time that I crucified the Lord, 
He resurrected. And he came running right back after me. You see, you and I, we need a love who resurrects. Because every time something gets close, we think maybe this person will actually know too much about us and then will reject us. Because if they actually know everything about me, there's no way they can accept me. But this Jesus, whom I crucified, will chase me every day for the rest of my life. That's my God. The final part, and we just don't have enough time for all this, y'all. Um, the final part is, is one of the most... I'm just going to read it uh, and let it wash over us today and hear the word of the Lord. Starting in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of his apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And somehow, some way, you'll actually receive the gift of God's very presence, who wants to be with you. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, because Peter wanted so bad for these people to hear, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Save yourselves. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Uh, one of my friends has a, has a really bad nut allergy. And she once ate nuts, and her, her, her friend drove her as fast as she could to the hospital. When they get to the hospital, there's this huge line. And my, my friend looks over to this other girl, and, and her throat started closing up. And she says, she kind of hoarsely, I've got two minutes. That's all I've got. And when this other girl hears that, she starts screaming. What else can you do? She starts screaming and flailing and, and, and making as much commotion as she possibly could. She starts screaming. What Joel is doing, what Peter is doing, what Jesus is doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing, and what I hope to be doing this morning is a lot more than yelling. It's screaming. Because there is, there is a love that is knocking on the door. And so Jesus, when he comes, you know the first words out of his mouth are? 
first words in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, the time has been fulfilled. Repent, for I have come. The day of the Lord is here. Repent, change. Repent meaning turn away from where you were. Turn away from all those things that are making you less than you were meant to be in me. Turn away and repent. It is, it, it is, a, it is an invitation. It's a whisper to us. It's a scream that there's just so much more. And he's saying, when? When will it be enough? One of the most wonderful things about um, this, this Asbury outpouring was like a shield of humility over this place. When a lot of the movements of God happen, you've probably seen it and heard of it before. People get big and people fall. And it's all about some individual. Well, what happened to Asbury, no one even knew who was like leading this thing. And one of the ways that that, that kind of took place was, was every time um, every time someone was going to speak, every time someone was going to lead worship, every time someone was going to get on stage at all, th- this woman, she had started a, a prayer room behind the back of the stage. And they, they called it the consecration room. Consecration meaning like set apart, set aside. And every person had to go into that room. And there were people that were there at all hours, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 7 p.m., whenever it is. There were people there at all hours. And when they'd go into that room, they'd be asked a question. They'd be asked, is there anything in you that is going to prevent the Holy Spirit from working through you? Is there anything in you that is going to prevent the Holy Spirit from working through you right now? Because if there is, don't you dare go up on that stage. This is not about you. And the only way that this movement is going to continue is if you get out of the way. Is there anything in you that you need to repent so that the Lord can lift you up and heal you? Is there anything going to prevent you from the movement? We cannot go. The series is called Let's Go. This passage is clear. We cannot go until we are emptied. We cannot be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to us. Have you seen this passage? Have you seen 3,000 people come to the Lord? It is available to us, but we cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit until we're emptied of everything else. And so there is a cost to redemption. And there's a cost to healing. And that cost is everything. Because it costs Jesus everything. Yeah. I'm out of time, but I want to finish by saying if, if you think that there is no way to confess before the Lord and before other people, that there is no way to, to repent of what you've done, to, that, you, that you need to keep hiding which I think many of us have felt at all different times of our lives. The church is different than that. Do you know why? 
who was it that was giving this sermon? It's a guy named Peter. Do you remember what Peter did just a few weeks before this sermon? He denied Jesus three times. And he has the boldness and the gumption to say, you crucified Jesus. Now, how does he say that? Because he's already confessed that he has crucified Jesus. It is a gift to be able to come before the Lord and have him look at you, no matter who you are, and to say, if you just call upon my name, you should be saved. So here's the invitation. The day of the Lord is here. And some people are going to be really excited for it. And others won't. Uh, Let's pray. Father, there's such joy in knowing that, that you saved me. And Father, there, there's so much weight to this passage. I'm, I'm still even now intimidated by it. But Lord, I pray, I pray that you would work on our hearts and that you would invite us to your throne. That you would invite us to come before you and sit before you and tell you what we have done against you. To admit that we have crucified you. And then to receive the forgiveness and the love of Jesus Christ. Yeah, Father, we we love you because you loved us first. So, Lord, I pray for anyone who is frightened to come before you and frightened to come before others. I pray for the peace of God over them. pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.